Welcome to episode 12 of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne, joined as always by Andrew Stoughton. And I'm not going to forget to mention the guest early this time, so we will also <laughs> be joined a little later uh, by Kevin Goldstein of Fangraphs, a national writer for them, draft expert, and also the host of the podcast Chin Music, which you should definitely check out. With that out of the way, we are at this all-star break, or we're coming out of the all-star break, and we got to talk a little bit about Vladdy and the Vladdy all-star game experience. It's sort of the second time early in his career where he's made a splash there after the home run derby. Stoughton, what was the, I know you kind of wrote an extended piece on this. What was your impression of what Vladdy did and sort of how he made an impact in baseball in the bigger picture? Yeah, was, he's, he's just a fun guy, right? Like, it, it's really, uh, it's really nice to see. And I think, I, I saw people, I think Gregor from the Star was, uh, you know, contrasting this Jays team with, say, the 2015 Jays team. Uh, which was not a particularly liked team around the uh, around the sport, and uh, it, it's nice to be in a, in the, a different situation. That was fun too, you know, to uh, to have a team that was hated. Uh, but it just seems everybody likes these guys, and these guys are just uh, they like each other, and it's really it, it, it's it's really fun to watch. Yeah, like you mentioned, the 2015 team was sort of the us against the world type deal, which works really well when you've got one team in Canada, right? And the other teams are all in the U.S. So it's kind of like, oh, we're the ones that everyone's looking down on. It kind of plays into the international dynamics there. It was fun, for sure. But with this group, like take the four guys who made the All-Star team, right? You got Vladdy, who's got kind of 100% approval rating, it seems, in terms of all the players and pretty much fans as well. Then you had Bichette, who had that kind of home field boost, considering what his dad has done at Coors. Yep. And then yep. Semyon's got enormous sort of stature in the game, like one of the more well-respected guys. And Teoscar Hernandez is sort of that famous vibes guy. So you bring those four <laughs> people together, and yeah. that's a pretty powerful group in terms of being ambassadors for the Blue Jays. And I don't know if the Blue Jays are going to become kind of the second favorite team of everybody, the way that, you know, the Cubs used to be before they won the World Series or any of that. But the likability has got to be, I don't know, 80th, 90th percentile <laughs> around the league, especially if they go on to, you know, beat the Yankees, beat the Red Sox, you know, do something in the AL East where a lot of teams that are hated reside. Uh, I think there's a real possibility for them to gain some steam as, yeah, that, that second favorite team for a lot of baseball fans out there. Yeah, I, I think that's totally right. And, uh, yeah, like how, I don't know, how would you, how would you not like this team? And also, especially like you say, if they knock off, uh, some of those hated AL East teams, it, it, it is, you know, I mean, you would think that with four all-stars, they would maybe have a better record. Uh, they're obviously, you know, and we talk about it every week. There are obviously weaknesses uh, on the Blue Jays still, and uh, and, and things that they need to improve, um, which is sort of critical, I think, at this point because I, I, I tweeted about this and I've written about it, you know, and, and we've talked about it. Like it, it's uh, it, it's a really like as much as we can think about it as like the first year of like their championship window kind of opening. It's also the you know, you only have Marcus Semyon for so long. You only have Robbie Ray for so long, who is apparently uh, the ace to end all aces at this point in his career. Uh, you know, you really would hate to see them not capitalize on that and keep thinking too much long term, uh, which is why it's going to be real interesting to see in the next couple of weeks, you know, what they do trade deadline wise. 
uh, because the team is 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 real good. It's real good and it's really fun and it 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 it, it, it it's sad to think of like the possibility that it could go the other way and have you know just sort of have all this momentum peter out and, and not have a great September, not have a great August and and uh, I, I you know I think we deserve better than that and I think the team deserves better than that. It is within the realm of possibility, though. I, you know, I, I kind of I did a piece this week where I looked at teams that had kind of the similar playoff odds, and you know, what did their GMs tend to do? That made the playoffs. Though. So, the, kind of the hopeful teams in the sort of thirty percent right now, Blue Jays are thirty-five. You could quibble with that number, but they're you know they're four and a half games back of a wild card with a lot of teams in play. So they've got a lot of work to do, and generally in that position, general managers tend to make kind of those relatively small like they like the Blue Jays of 2015 which were actually in a somewhat comparable position in terms of having that great run differential having the great lineup and not having the record you know reflect that um that is the exception to the rule <laughs> like it really and it was is great and we all appreciate it and I understand wanting something like that to happen again but it is so different from what people generally do. People generally pick up a reliever. Uh, the 2018 Oakland Athletics were a good comparison for these Blue Jays, and they picked up, you know, a starter in fear fires. They picked up a reliever in Familia, who was a really good reliever at that time, and then they got um, Sean Kelly as well. Kind of a diff another reliever. So they had a, a different shape of a team because that was kind of a one of those lineups with no holes as opposed to full of stars, which the Blue Jays are. Um, but it was a similar result. Like they were a, kind of an elite offense uh, and position player group. And so I think that's kind of the, I don't know, best case, but that's sort of the realistic good case of what happens here is the Blue Jays get a really good reliever, a starter that is helpful to them, and another reliever. I, I don't see that huge overhaul happening. Yeah, I don't either. I don't either. But... Uh... Uh, that but that would that should be enough really. Uh, they have lost so many tight games and so many games that are uh, that were winnable, which is really my fear is that we're going to look back at the season, uh, you know, when it comes to the end, and be like, man, you know, like just a just a couple of those games going the other way could have made a huge difference for them. Um, but it also speaks to how you know, and this is what the team would say. This their spin would be that you know. Well, if we're in if we're in ball games, then we're good, uh, which is not not quite accurate. Uh, it's accurate you know. adjacent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, no, it it is true. But the, the flip side of that too, and I think that that's part of whether you're a fan or you're someone who is like a beat writer or an analyst about the team. When you see the whole season through just sort of a one team's lens, it's easy to look at those games and say, oh, here's a lot of games that we could have won, but it could have won but lost. But there's also those games that you could have lost but won, and <laughs> you don't really consider those. Oh, those are just wins. You know what I mean? So, like, sometimes right. it's easy to get that mindset where it's like, oh, well, every time we sort of, we barely lost, like, that's a win that we should have had. But every time we barely won, well, that's a win. Now, the Blue Jays have this run differential that kind of proves, again, they are better than their record. This collection of talent is better than its record, and they do have that potential to go on a run. But it is easy to kind of look back and sort of pick out where wins could have been 
and then and kind of fool yourself into thinking maybe you know because if you did that if we really did that and we combed through all the games like we went on baseball reference or whatever and we found okay here are the games and here's i don't know especially if you want to be this guy here's a charlie montoyo decision that he should have put in this picture (laughs) not this picture and you really did that you could find like you know 12 wins like you could make the blue jays you know this elite elite team you could find tons of wins and you could do that most seasons so there, I just I think there's a little there's something to being cognizant of that, but at the same time, the run differential tells us this is a really good team. They didn't have Springer for the majority of the year. We know how good their lineup is when Springer is in it, uh, and the regression candidates on this team in terms of doing worse in the second half is like Vladdy, obviously, and you know Semyon and some of the pitchers, I guess. But like you know Robbie Ray, is he going to be worse in the second half? Like. I'm not sure. Like it's pretty persuasive what he's doing right now. It really is. Yeah. I mean, if he's if he's not walking guys, then the stuff has always been there. Like and that's really been the thing that's plagued him the whole. I mean, keeping the ball in the bar, ballpark is another issue, I guess. But uh, but yeah, it's been real impressive to see Robbie Ray what he's been doing. Yeah, I mean, the fact that they laid out their rotation with Ray first coming out of the break. I know that that doesn't you know mean that much and maybe that gets you one extra start over the course of time and we know that they like to give Ryu an extra day of rest etc 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 but if they were conceptualized Ryu as like the pure ace the number one as he was last year they wouldn't have done that they would have started with Ryu I think that's true and uh I, I think Ray you know likes to you know likes the routine likes to be keep on his day which I think is probably going to help him as well um but yeah, you're right. I, it, it, I think last year they definitely would have tried to get an extra start out of Ryu if they could have. And this year, obviously, uh, has been less impressive for him. I mean, again, you can nitpick these little things. Matt's at three, a little confusing to me. I would have taken either of <laughs> the other guys. Yeah. I, I'm not a, as quite as much of an alarmist about Matt's. I think some, some people are willing to say, oh, Matt's is a pumpkin. It's done. And I don't know if that's a hundred percent true. Like he, there's, he still has pretty good stuff. Like it seems to be a location problem and those things can, they're not necessarily going to be fixed, but they are fixable. I don't know if he's an elite, you know, the guy he was at the first little bit of the season, that was never fair to yeah. say he was going to be that guy. Um, but I guess we saw Ray doing it. So like, why not? Why not Matt? <laughs> why not everybody? You know, if, yeah. if someone can improve and everyone can improve. But I, I think coming out of COVID too, like he, you know, he had that time off, and and, and there, well, we haven't quite seen him at his best yet. But you know, if they're trading for a starter, I think it's go, he's going to take Matt's place in the rotation. Yeah, right now for sure. Now again, yeah. you know, Stripling is a guy who could easily fall back a level, and in a, I wouldn't be shocked if in three weeks he's the guy we're looking at. But you know, the fact that. Manoa's come up and his spot looks pretty safe. I mean, it was something early in the podcast we were kind of fantasizing about. We were like, oh, well, Manoa will be in the rotation. And we were almost <laughs> joking about it. Like, oh, yeah. yeah, Manoa will be in the rotation and he'll lock down that spot later in the year. And that was sort of, I mean, is Manoa the best case scenario of what he could be? Maybe not, because the best thing was him just being too good at baseball to play the guys in AAA. <laughs> but, yeah. You know, he's he's been, you know, he's really solid. And he's one of those things where you point to, okay, like how are the Blue Jays going to be better in the second half than they were in the first half? And he's one of those guys because he can give them more, just more volume because he wasn't up for the whole time. And he can maybe also improve because he's young and he's learning the major leagues. So he, he'd be one of those like, 
okay, how are the Blue Jays going to go come create that internal improvement? Because if we agree they're not going to have this massive external haul, like they are going to need some internal improvements, and he's one of those guys that can give them more in the second half than he gave them in the first. Yeah, no, I definitely agree on that. And uh, even even his bad, like his his last start, he only went three and two thirds or whatever, uh, was still real impressive. Struck out nine and. and you know, maybe needs to stop hitting guys. But, uh. Yeah, I mean, I joke, we joked about that again early in the podcast. Uh, you know, because it just seemed like a ridiculous thing. Like, oh, I mean, that that couldn't pot. That isn't a thing that really surround. I can't think of any pitchers right now who are kind of like, oh, well, that guy's good, but what really holds him back is that he beans dudes. Like, that's just not like a profile. Like, we we were talking to Kevin Goldstein later. Oh, behind the curtain, we already had that conversation, so we yeah. can't ask him about it. But I guarantee you there's nobody on his like draft board that's like, oh, this guy is great, but what the problem is that he seems to bean people in opportune <laughs> moments. Like there's no one in the draft like that, and yet Alec Manoa has somehow found that lane. It's uh it's a wonderful thing, except, you know, <laughs> the guy having to face it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, if you want to do some kind of old school <laughs> intimidation thing, like, oh, he makes people uncomfortable in the box. I'd be uncomfortable in the box against Alec Manoa. Yeah, uh, beefy as well, yeah. I believe. Is what extra, we'll, extra, we'll lar- extra large human, as you'll find <laughs> out later. Before we get to heaven, sort of the story of kind of literally the day, and this is changing all the time. So there's a, you know, on this podcast, we have a bit of a reputation of putting stuff out before news drops. I think this is going to happen again, but we have possible this one. Yeah. (laughs) But to be fair, we, you know, we got, we have to touch on that because this is sort of the biggest thing surrounding the Blue Jays right now is sort of what, you know, when is this team coming home? And July 30th is the date where everyone would like to see it happen. And it has been a weirdly developing story. There's been a lot of vagaries. There's been a lot of talking about positive momentum without anything definite. And it has been odd for fans to see, you know, MLS go forward mm-hmm. before, you know, nothing against TFC, but the Toronto Blue Jays are kind of objectively a bigger deal, I would say. And I don't know, there's probably someone who would take umbrage with that somehow, but I think that I could probably <laughs> yeah, use sort of television numbers or whatever the fuck you want to prove that the Blue Jays are a bigger deal than TFC. Um so, yeah, what is your thought process being kind of watching this whole thing drag out? Because it has it has seemed like it shouldn't be that hard as the province opens up. Like if the decision is we're going to open up the province, you know, we're doing cinemas, we're doing indoor dining. And I know there are you know, capacity limits on certain things, but that's the momentum. The momentum is people are getting vaccinated. Cases are coming down. I believe Thursday there were 20 cases in Toronto as an example. Like this is it's been falling precipitously as people are getting vaccinated. It's time to open Ontario. What has made this so difficult? Yeah, it's a great question because they the horse is kind of already out of the barn, right? Like they had they had the FIBA tournament in Victoria. They had the Canadians hosted the the Golden Knights. Uh, I don't know what the difference is. They're, They're going ahead with the tennis. Uh, it's very easy to become cynical and look at the the politics of it and who the, you know, who, who's donating to the which party and whatever. And maybe the Jays don't do that enough. I, I've had some snarky tweets about that myself. Uh, but yeah, it, 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 but, but that's only because we've been left in this place where we don't understand why some things are 
okay or exempt from from you know the the border restrictions and some things aren't and it it just seems like you know i know a tfc has is leaving their unvaccinated players behind and, and that's i think that's how that's going forward uh you know <laughs> baseball should have everybody vaccinated like which whichever moron clubs are not out there uh vaccinated they they should be at a competitive disadvantage right like the it would be for you know i would love to see if if the, you know you the league using that and the government using that as a reason to get those people vaccinated uh by you know allowing or, or not not allowing the unvaccinated people to come across the border that's fine by me but i don't think that's how it's going to have to work i think we're going to have to have obviously an exemption for whichever weirdos on the cubs or, or mets or whatever don't want to be vaccinated or the or what well, well, the yankees are and have had had breakthrough cases uh, and, and the the thing is, at this point, it's like it's just everything is sort of risky, right? You know, like just existing in a world where there's a pandemic going on is risky. So, uh, I think if you think about it in terms of like risk mitigation, it it it, it, uh, it it's it's way down the list of what will you know cause public health problems at this point. So there's really no reason that they shouldn't be doing it, and uh, it gets harder and harder by the day to think that it's for any reason you know that the this delay is happening that but optics and politics as, as opposed to any actual like public health concerns yeah i mean and we talked about those, like those players have a modified quarantine who are unvaccinated and there's a fucking hotel right above the ballpark <laughs> right there so yeah. you can get them there and they can just do that for three days like it's not a big deal part of it i'm inclined to think is that you know, like MLS and to their credit has just been, okay, we won't do the vac- unvaccinated, then you can stay home. And it's harder to see that happening in baseball. And part of that is that, you know, as a you know sport that we love, we don't like to talk about this aspect of it so much, but a lot of clubhouses and a lot of people around baseball are, are steeped in that right-wing American politics. Like if you, oh, yeah. if you go to the average clubhouse and you talk to the American players and you were going to do an honest survey, like you're going to find <laughs> more Republicans than Democrats in there, to be honest. Like part of that is people... Well, they're, ri- they're rich dudes from Florida and Texas. Yeah, basically. exactly. Like, so like, so I, that's, that's what that is, yeah. Yeah, and so as a result, I think that there would be there. You know, there's people who are unvaccinated in MLB clubhouses for these kind of political reasons, and some of them are probably bigger names, and some of them are probably some of your favorite players. And I, you know, I think in a soccer team, it's also a little bit more common to sort of move decent amount of your team in and out and cycle through them. And so missing a couple of players doesn't seem as I get always depends on the player. But in baseball, if you lose your three and four hitter, that's a little like if that's I don't think MLB wants to see a, you know that happen where a game takes place in Toronto and suddenly you know this team is missing their ace starter and they and I think they absolutely should and yeah leave those people home and then you don't have to worry about exemptions and let's get this show on the road. I'd one hundred percent support that, but it it would create. Um, it would shine a spotlight on some of the stuff that I think MLB would rather not have a spotlight shine. I think, yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah, they they don't want you to know which of your favorite players is a freak who doesn't yeah. want to get a vaccine. Yeah, and uh, yeah, like I said, it's a lot. And I'm sure a lot of them, you know, got a vaccine kind of anyway and whatever. It seemed easier. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But like an 85% is a good threshold. Like that's better than the general population. So I don't want to make it seem like, you know, clubhouses are just full of QAnon supporters and only one of the guys is vaccinated because that's not necessarily the case. But there are quite a few people out there and there are quite a few prominent people and it just seems easier from the blue and you know on the blue jays too i'm not making this as if it's like totally so as a result you don't need to highlight those people but i'm curious to see what will happen and i just don't follow mls but i'm curious to see what will happen as you know which players are unvaccinated are kind of spotlighted for fans to see and for um, I wonder if how that's going to affect, you know, how the fan base perceives them and the PR and whatnot, because I can see that creating a little bit of a nightmare because I know some players have, have sort of said whether they have or haven't, but it's not like there's been a survey that's been put out or anything. And not that there should be, because like, that's a little bit invasive, but. Sure. No, but, I, but, but yeah, you're right. That, that is going to be very interesting uh, to see how that plays out. And, I don't know. Hopefully, they just they just figure something out. It 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 has been, you know. And I don't I don't think this is even on the table. Like the the idea of like having it become an incentive. Like oh well, if you have to, you're going to be left home if you if we have a series with the Blue Jays in Canada. Uh, but those incentives have have proven quite powerful. It turns out, you know, everywhere we, everywhere we look, or every you know every day in the news, you'll see something where you know the. Oh, they're going to have a vaccine passport. You're going to have to. You're you're, you're going to have to have a, a a proof of vaccination to do indoor dining, to do all the things that are you know a return to normal. And it has driven vaccination rates up when once uh, jurisdictions have announced that. And, uh, and yeah, anything to that end is good because you know get vaccinated you morons like, yeah for on. the fans for the players <laughs> like again fans too yeah i mean i saw a case in france where they had cafes and indoor dining they were gonna do that like you had to have proof of negative test and or vaccine and then suddenly the next day they had the highest sign up rate in like right. the history of the pandemic with like over a million people signing up because when you yeah when you tell people okay cool you can make your choice here but that choice has consequences <laughs> suddenly yeah. that choice isn't as precious to them that's true so we'll, we'll see what happens here it has been yeah it's been a bit of a slog you know we'd like to see baseball back in toronto we'd like to see it sooner than later you know if it comes back august 20th and it's just a stretch run and the blue jays are competitive like that's still going to be awesome like i don't think that everyone should be immensely depressed if that's the outcome it'll be stupid it probably should have come July 30th. <laughs> yeah. But like at the end of the day, like, you know, it's a month and hopefully you'll get to see like the stuff that you really want to see. But I know everyone wants to be at the ballpark. And, you know, maybe by the time this podcast you're listening to it, you guys have a better idea than we do right now about how possible that is. So we're going to turn it over to Kevin Goldstein here. You know, between the two of us, uh, our draft expertise is, I don't, I don't know, minimal might be a fair description of that it. Might be, that might be generous. Could be generous. So <laughs> when it comes to things like this, it's nice to talk to someone who knows what the fuck they're talking about. And uh, Kevin absolutely fits that description. So uh, listen up to what he has to say about the Blue Jays draft. Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to tell you about our friends over at Commons. Commons is a documentary podcast from Canada Land. 
Host Archie Mann takes you right into the country's dark underbelly, uncovering stories of crime, corruption, and all manner of misdeed. Previous seasons have delved into Canada's addiction to oil, the powerful dynasties that rule this country, and cops that kill with impunity. Brought to you by Canada Land, this podcast will make sure you never look at this country in the same way again. This season, Commons investigates Canada's current obsession, real estate. Real estate is by far our biggest industry and often the only way in which Canadians can build any kind of wealth. And as the property mania of the last year has shown, people are willing to go to great lengths to get even a small piece of it. But our obsession with land is also the source of so many of our problems. From crime to corruption to segregation, Canada's history of real estate is dark indeed. Have a listen to the new season of Commons, Real Estate, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're joined by Kevin Goldstein of Fangraphs. Um, I think that the question that our listeners want to know, and it's hard to say, whenever we're talking on the draft, we don't know how it went. But what's your impression of the Blue Jays draft? What do you feel about it today, even though however you feel might be totally wrong in, you know, three to five years? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're right. It's, 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 it's all, it's, can I curse? You can. Absolutely. Yeah, it's all bullshit right now. I mean, it's it's <laughs> like it's our job to do, you know, to talk about the draft and I'm about I'm going to report court a podcast in a couple hours where you kind of break down every team and we're all going to give opinions and stuff and like we're all full of shit. Like it's it's uh you you're right. You don't really know if this is a good draft or not. Like I'll come back on in 2026 and we'll then we'll talk about whether this was a good draft or not. But you know, I understand people want to know. I thought it was uh, an average draft for them. I thought, I think they did well in the first round. Like, I don't think they woke up expecting Hoagland to be there. Um, you know, I heard his name throughout the, the, the picks ahead of him, really. I, I really heard he could have gone as high as maybe 12. Um, and it seemed pretty clear he was going to go somewhere 15 to 18. And, and if it makes you guys feel any better, I was positive that he was going to go to the Yankees. At, at, that was his floor. Like the Yankees wanted him to get to them. Um, and he didn't. So, you know, maybe you can be happy about that. But it's a good first-round pick. I mean, you know, this is a guy who, if the elbow didn't go kablooey, would have been, you know, it's gone somewhere between maybe 7 and 10. And so, you know, to get that kind of talent at 19, I think is something you have to be really, really happy about. Um, and, and I think teams are more comfortable than ever with, with these guys coming off of TJ. And they actually kind of like getting them and, and saying, hey, we get to manage the rehab instead of, you know, Ole Miss, you know, instead of a college program, right. like, you know, <laughs> not that Ole Miss isn't a good program. It is, but like if they still don't have the resources that a professional baseball team has. And, and so, you know, this was already a polished guy. I don't think the year off is going to hurt him. And I also think the year off is not going to, I guess I would say, put him behind like it would in a quote unquote normal year. I think with you know, with what we've seen in baseball, with all of the injuries and, and a lot of that being kind of you know, attributed with good reason to the bizarreness of 2020, I think you're going to see a lot of pitchers who got drafted, including by the Blue Jays, shut, just shut down. And so that's going to mean that he's not, it's not like other guys are accumulating innings and in work that he's not. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of even reduces that. So, I mean, I think you got to be pretty happy with that. Um, like they're, they're third rounders, an interesting guy. It's, it's. One of those dudes where, you know, it really depends on who you talk to. Um, I talked to scouts who love this guy. I talked to scouts who were just like, I'm out. Um, it, it requires dreaming. Like, I get it. He really, really looks the part. Ricky Tiedemann looks the part. This is this is what they should look like. Um, but there was, there was frustration with some scouts where, you know, 
this guy looks like he should dominate at a level like Golden West College is playing. And it didn't happen a mm-hmm. whole lot, you know. Um, and you walk away and you go, this guy looks really, really good, but he didn't really perform that well um, for his level. And, you know, it was kind of safe from there. It was just obviously, you know, as you guys know, it was a ton of pitching, a ton of college pitching and um, and a lot of performers. I think Irving, Irv Carter in the fifth, a nice upside play and kind of a nice story. Um, but, you know, I thought their draft was after after I think Hoagland's a great get in the first. First is the is the important one. It's the overwhelming majority of your money. Um, and after that, it was a little I don't know, safe, I guess would be the word. So you mentioned the amount of pitching. I think it was 15 out of 20, maybe 10 of the first 11. You maybe don't quote me on that. Uh, but it's in that range where it was a, you know, it was dominant. That was clearly the focus. And I heard you on Effectively Wild, and you were mentioning how the data to do with um, pitching is just a little bit more reliable in small samples. People are getting you know, the pitch data off. You know, how does the slider move? What is the spin rate on the fastball? And those type of things, whereas they didn't get to look at a lot of at-bats for hitters. And then we saw the Angels had their, you know, the no, famous no-hitter, which will go <laughs> down in history. Do you think teams are going to end up uh, feeling good about that method? Or is it something where in a couple of years there's going to be a bunch of position players that were drafted really low that people missed on they end up being really good because this was more of a risk-averse, let's-go-with-what-we-know strategy? I think there's definitely going to be some hitters that were not taken high who end up really good. And, and um, that can often be the case as it is. And, and you know, the, as far as kind of, I don't know, whatever you want to call it, um, advanced evaluation, you know, really breaking down data and video, the industry as a whole is way ahead on pitchers than it is on hitters, right? Um, like you can walk away and, you know, put a picture in front of the lasers and you know exactly what his stuff looks like, right? You know exactly what the velocity is, exactly what the spin is, exactly how much it moves. You know, you can then measure that historically against other pitches that look just like that and get a good feel for exactly what this is. Um, There is no data like that for hitters. Like we, you know, people have all sorts of, you know, advanced stuff measuring, you know, bat speed and swing plane and all that stuff. But there's so many aspects to hitting that we can't measure with the lasers, you know, and, and the biggest one is hand-eye coordination, which we might never be able to measure. And so I just felt like this year there was so much more of a comfort level. Like, I, I feel like I know what this pitcher is, or at least I know what his stuff is, and I just don't have enough to go on with the position player. And I think it created a lot of um, trepidation. And I think the balance got, uh, you know, frankly, out of whack and, and and just turned into pitcher, pitcher, pitcher for so many teams. Talk about the Angels, but, you know, there are tons of teams who drafted, you know, 15 or more pitchers. And, 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 and it was a very strange, imbalanced draft in that sense. And I think it's solely because of, of the amount of data and the comfort level in what was a very uncomfortable draft because of, of the lack of really having a track record from 2020. And there was some problems with the college position player class this year you know it wasn't a great one and I I think I just kind of started leaning on the arms so you characterize the Blue Jays draft as safe I think there's a an idea in Toronto they just kind of think of the Blue Jays front office as being a little bit risk averse when you look at this draft and previous drafts do you see a pattern there do you see a philosophy there if you're going into a draft are there guys and you can think oh that's the type of guy that a Toronto might like um, you know, I don't think that's necessarily the case. I do think they they are taking, in some ways, a bit of a a more modern approach to some of these things, and and I think this is something that the Yankees do as well. And I think it's a really good way to go. And the Blue Jays, I think, have followed suit in a lot of ways, where it's it's 
um, you know, to make a bad, uh, you know, investing analogy, it's it's kind of a portfolio diversification here, where like their 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 draft picks are their savings bonds, and their international signings are their tech stocks, right? So that's they get their safety in the draft, and they get their high upside, high risk dudes on the international market. And you know, if you look at you know, think about the Blue Jays' top prospects, it's it's a pretty diverse group, and there are a lot of really young players in this system. You know, Martinez and Geraldo in, in terms of infield, and they've consistently been very aggressive in the international market with kind of these, um, you know, big big tools up the middle players, and and it's certainly paid the you know paid off in a lot of ways. But they have a lot of really impressive international pro- prospects, and so I think they kind of diversify that way, where they go get their upside, they go get their flash, they go get their tools internationally, and they get you know their guys who that dude's just going to be a big leaguer, right? You if you feel comfortable about that, you get that in the draft. One thing I thought was interesting about Hoagland in particular, but also just kind of scrolling through, and this is me reading descriptions, you know, I don't know (laughs) who the the eighth round pick of the Blue Jays is, Um, but I saw a lot of sort of 90 to 93 good command, and it seems to me that it it used to be, and again, I've never been a draft expert, but I've always watched it, it seemed like in the past, people really targeted velocity because it was the idea was you can't really teach a guy to throw hard and we can teach him the rest of the stuff. And now it seems like there's an idea that you can kind of teach guys velocity. And I've heard with Hoagland, a lot of people say, okay, well, he doesn't throw hard now, but maybe coming out of Tommy John, you can rework and you can find some ticks. And then, uh, you know, then the stuff plays up even more and the command really comes into play. Um, one, is that totally wrong? And secondly, <laughs> uh, what do you see? happening with Hogan in that regard and has that been a bit of a shift I mean I think we live in a weird weird world where you know we you know Hoagland goes out there and kind of sits 92 94 and bumps a few fives and we go he doesn't throw hard um but I, I think it's really dangerous just to sit there and go oh we can make everyone throw harder you know are, are there players who have thrown harder absolutely um and it's good to start with command, but you, you do need stuff too. And, and there are a lot of teams that did this near the Indians. If you look at their draft, a lot of college arms and a lot of guys who real, real strike throwers. And, you know, the Dodgers kind of zagged when everyone zigged and they took all these stuff dudes. They took all these guys who like do 98, 99 with vicious breaking balls. And sometimes they can't hit the broadside of a barn and, and they're going to try to teach these guys command. And so like every team is different. I, I, I do think, Command is something that, you know, the great stuff wars, if you will, of the last five or six years, I think teams started to, to really kind of focus on velocity and spin and movement and stuff. And they draft these guys and like, that's great. He can't pitch, you know, and, and it's, you know, it, it's, it doesn't mean it's garbage. It doesn't mean anything like there's literally there's dudes in the minors every day throwing who are like 98, 99, who are never going to get to the big leagues because they have no clue where it's going. And so you end up in this weird world that I do think we started to see a correction this year in terms of like, well, he's got to command it at some point. And, and it might have been a little bit of an overcorrection. And, and I don't think Hoagland's a good example of that because Hoagland has a real fastball and, and, um, and a beautiful breaking ball, not to mention go back to command. I think Hoagland's com- – the command of his breaking ball is as good as anyone in the draft. It's, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. Um, but, yeah, like dudes like, like Chad Dallas is, is a strike thrower, but I think – you know, talk about guys who might gain something. I think you go back to the high school pick, which is Irv Carter, who's, you know, an interesting guy. Like you'd go see, uh, you know, Andrew Painter at Calvary Christian and, you know, who was a first round pick and, and you'd stay an extra day because the next day Irv Carter was pitching. 
And like this big dude, you know, it's a high school kid. He's like 6'4", 220. Uh, and you'd see some mid nineties from him, and you, you, I think it's easy to say, like, I think we'll get this more consistently, consistently with with kind of his maturity and development. Um, I think that's fair, but I think it's tough to to draft a, you know, a 21, 22 year old guy and say this guy's going to throw harder. And 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 you know, we can talk about adding velocity, and there are teams who have been successful at adding velocity, but there's still, it's still absolutely true that most most players will never throw as hard as they did in high school and college as a pro. Most guys lose velocity. Um, and so it, it's hard to just kind of look at this guy. Oh, well, if we just add two V had two ticks of V to all these guys, they're great. You know, I think that's a real, a real dangerous way to look at things. I will say from an outsider's perspective, if you're a Dodger fan or supporter, it's probably more fun to dream on a bunch of guys that throw 98 and then hope that they can hit the broadside of a barn <laughs> at some point. Oh yeah. I, you know, and I mean, their first round pick was this, is this, absolutely you know fascinating guy that you know i never heard any first round buzz on heading into the draft it's the last pick of the first but it's you know it's maddox bruns and if i told you about you know a a high school lefty throwing like 98 with this mid 80s slider like the the absolute bastard movement like two plane huge (laughs) down huge lateral like you'd think this dude was a top 10 pick but like there are days where you'd show up and you know, he wouldn't get out of the second inning because he'd walk five in a row. And so you, you you take this guy, if you get strikes out of this guy, it's the find of the century. Um, but you don't want to bet on it. And they took a ton of dudes like that. Oh. I really like the term bastard movement. I think uh, that's, that's something I'm going to hold I've, on to and use. I, there are professional reports in Major League Baseball databases that I've written that have the word bastard slider in it. So I've made my mark. <laughs> there are some, yeah, there's some great terms in the scouting glossary. Maybe that's something I'd like to add. What are your favorite scouting terms? Because there once or twice something will pop for me every year where I'm like, I can't believe that's something that people actually use. And then, yeah, I'd like to learn and incorporate it in my writing. <laughs> oh, my God, it's a family show, right? Um, I mean, Slayer is always a good one. Um, I'm trying to think of what else. I, I, I've, uh, I, I got to use them. I'm trying to think if, if the Jays took anyone like this, but I don't think they did. Um, uh, like for a big dude, I would always put extra large human. Which I always enjoyed talking about, um, like like I know, for a great example I know because I, I went and I saw him as an amateur. Like when I I think the you know the the way I wrote scouting reports, the first part was like a physical description, um, then for a pitcher kind of delivery description, then get into the stuff, get into the command. And I know like the first sentence I read about Alex Manoa was was extra large human, you know, and that, that's a it's a great example, um, you know, and so that, that was always a, a good one. But it, you learn a lot. Like every scout uses different stuff, and I I think you should have fun when you write scouting reports, and not enough guys do. Yeah, for sure. I, extra large humor is good. I know that at one point I wrote something about Bartolo Colon, and I used the term generously proportioned, which I felt was that's nice. Yeah, a, a nice uh, euphemism. <laughs> yeah, I, I would I would use the word beefy. You know, <laughs> that's a little less nice, arguably. Yeah, beefy. I think I was like was definitely a word I used a lot. Before we let you go, I just wanted to ask a little bit about how this draft process has been different you know just it seems like it's ever shifting right even the number of rounds is changing on a year to basis we know a lot of that had to do with covid the way things are being evaluated do you think that kind of when it's all said and done and the dust will settle this will look like a weird draft in terms of who went where because the evaluation was kind of 
yeah, it was a little bit different and thrown off a, a bit by the circumstances in the world. Yeah, I think it's a weird draft, but I do, it, it might be kind of the new normal in some ways. You know, this is, we don't know what the draft's going to look like next year just because we have a CBA upcoming um, and, and the draft gets worked out there. It's always the last thing they work out. It's it's kind of like the, the, the stepchild in the corner you talk about after you figure everything else out. But I, I don't think we're ever going to see 40 rounds again. I think 20 or 25 rounds is going to be the new normal. Um, but the draft always kind of changes and, and evolves. I, I don't think you'll see the pitching heavy draft next year that you see this year just because we'll have, you know, they'll be more comfortable with full years of data off of guys. But it's something that's always, you know, evolving and changing. But this was a weird, it was a weird draft, you know, and I've talked to teams post draft and they all say it was weird and, and, and uh, that word gets used a lot. And, you know, uh, you said I could curse. So like I got a text on Sunday night when it was over from a scouting director. She said, what the fuck just happened? You know, and it was like <laughs> teams, teams were like trying to figure out, you know, what happened. And there were, there were lots of strange first round picks and you go, what, what are they doing? And then, you know, lots of teams did that and they saved money and then they spent more lower below. There was a lot of kind of cost savings and kind of redistribution of bonus pools. Um, and, and it was interesting to see how big of a trend that becomes. But yeah, it was a weird draft, and and it's 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 hard to say whether it means something. I mean, again, just my, like the players themselves, ask me in five years, and we'll see if this is the beginning of something or just a weird outlier. All right, Kevin, we appreciate you coming on. We know that you may be you know sleep deprived over the last few days, tons of work put in, and <laughs> sleep deprived all year, man. Fair enough. Yeah, Fair enough. I, I feel you there, um, but. <laughs> But I know though you'd like to get some rest now, and hopefully you can go do that. I'll try. I've actually, yeah, I'm starting. I have another podcast to record in ninety minutes, so <laughs> that's a good nap. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Naps are underrated. All right. Thanks that's again, Kevin. Accurate. Yeah, yeah. No thanks, problem, man. guys. Have a good one. You too. A great insight from Kevin. Uh, I wish I could have gone deeper into his scouting glossary. Uh, (laughs) I like words. I always like to have more ammunition to play with. But, uh, you know, that bastard slider is something that I'll definitely (laughs) be thinking about um, going forward. I don't know if anyone on the Blue Jays quite has the bastard slider. Manoa might. Manoa might. When it's it's really going, sometimes it gets a little loopy. Um, okay, so sure. just before we get out of here, let's just tee up that weekend series. After too long without Blue Jays, we've got Blue Jays Rangers, a rivalry that used to exist that it became meaningless in pretty short order. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Both those teams really didn't go very well for them after 2016. Yeah. Yeah. So that yeah, that, that was a thing until well, I don't know. Let's say that both teams became were good again and they met in the playoffs again. I'm sure we'd see a lot of montages and people would dredge up old feelings. <laughs> but realistically, we're gonna need another bump on it. What we got wasn't enough. But so I guess what to, what you're gonna enjoy about watching the Jays face the Rangers is that the Rangers are not a good team. Uh, which is going to increase the Blue Jays' chances of success. What they do have is a couple of those trade bait 
options. Like I said before, I don't know if the Blue Jays are fishing in waters like these, but there's been a lot of um, people fantasizing about Joey Gallo and Kyle Gibson. Um, Ian Kennedy, maybe? Ian Kennedy, I could see happening. Uh, Gallo and Gibson. Gallo, I mean, in some ways, awesome. Great athlete, big (laughs) left-handed power, very productive this year. Also, you know, very inconsistent. Like, this would be a huge buy high on Gallo because he's had some good years and he's been pretty useless at times as well. Uh, you'd have to pay a lot to get Gallo. Gibson is interesting because he's someone who sort of remade himself as a pitcher. That can happen later in careers in a way that I find more believable. Um, you know, the Blue Jays wanted Gibson all along. I don't think they even imagined he would become something like this. If they added him, I mean, that's, you know, that's a huge rotation addition uh for them to make that's another big package if it's going to be one of those guys i think i'd be more inclined to see them go after gibson but yeah i mean again watch those guys and do all the fantasizing you want but don't (laughs) don't be too uh don't invest too much emotional capital in that because i don't think that's probably fair i don't think that's coming around (laughs) i i mean (laughs) Just I, I, you're right about Gallo being inconsistent, or whatever. And I, you know, and he doesn't really play third base anymore. Which had he had he still be, you know, had that still been, you know, his main position. Yeah, but he's still young uh, and athletic. Like he could do it. Like it's not like he's aged out. Yeah. Of but I, I don't think that's a defensive upgrade necessarily at third base. Like because that's sort of the, that for me is the perfect fit, right? If you have a good defensive third baseman who also hits like Joey Gallo and also is you know, consistent, like a lefty with, with real power. That would be fantastic. But I, I, you know, trying to fit him into the outfield mix makes it a bit more difficult. And I think they kind of got the guy there. They got their Joey Gallo and Corey Dickerson probably, uh, which is going to be interesting. He should be back soon enough, um, which I think will help and, and give, you know, just give the lineup a different look and, and lengthen it and, 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 and be a good thing for them. If, you know, he's your, he's your lefty hitter who, uh, uh, you know, who hits right-handed pitching, I guess. And but yeah, I, 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 you know, the the Gallo fantasizing, I totally get. Gibson, you're right. I think is probably, uh, probably makes more sense. But, uh, but yeah, you're, but, the, uh, you're again, the package will for will be, uh, quite large to get any of these sort of guys. Uh, and I just I, I don't you know I feel that the Jays are more in the mode of. I don't base this on anything that they've said. Like, they don't talk about these things. But it, it seems more likely to me that, you know, guys who are going to have to be added to the 40-man this winter where there's already a log jam on the 40-man, guys like Kevin Smith are probably their bigger trade chips than, you know, the the kind of guys that you can really go and use to get, you know, superstar kind of packages. And like, I don't think – I don't see them trading Groshans. I don't see them trading Austin Martin, Nate Pearson – any of the top guys, I think Smith is probably like the ceiling. Uh, but again, that's just that's just a guess, and, and it depends who becomes available, I suppose. But uh, but but also, I think in this, you know, the way that teams value young players and, and years of control, uh, you get a lot out of a kind of a Kevin Smith or a lot out of an Alejandro Kirk if that's you know the kind of guy you're training. Yeah, I mean, I I'd be interested what. Like both of those guys, Gallo and Gibson, are interesting because they've been so much better this year than they've traditionally been. 
Um, you know, Gallo's spiked in the past, but this is his best year. And Gibson has been just so bored. Like, even when I when I hear his name, I just think like, <laughs> oh, fourth starter for a decade. You know what I mean? Like he's just with yeah. the Twins forever, and he was fine. Like when the Blue Jays were pursuing him, I was like, oh, okay, that's a boring ass guy to go after. But sure, why not? And when they yeah. I, like. I have no proof of this, but like I called that they were going to sign Tanner Roark based on nothing ages when they like months before they did it because it was like, yeah, they're just going to go get some boring ass guy. And Roark <laughs> and Gibson were kind of the same guy at that point, um, but he's become really exciting. So maybe that brings the price a little bit down because they have, the, especially Gibson, less of a track record. Again, it's just probably not worth investing too much thought or emotion into because I just don't see them shopping at that tier. Um, Kennedy is an interesting guy to watch the last guy to keep an eye on and this is not a Blue Jays trade target I just think that Adolis Garcia is so fun right now as a guy to and they're like sure you yeah. know a guy's broken through um, way older than traditional rookie because he's he was with the Cardinals AAA affiliate for ages could never quite find it he's sort of got that Teoscar Hernandez thing going where he's got the big power and the big speed uh, and the questionable approach and those guys are always super fun to watch like my my favorite <laughs> yeah. player when I first started watching the Blue Jays and it was a very weird window to first start watching the Blue Jays but it was Raul Mondesi um sure yeah you know and Sean, you know Sean Green was so much better and they never should have gotten Mondesi and like all, all that all that <laughs> stuff is true but I yeah. loved Raul Mondesi because he just you know, he ran like the wind. He stole bases at you know more than he should have at that point of his career. Uh, he had the big, uh, yeah, he had big time power. He swung for everything. Like I always enjoy that aesthetic. Maybe less so on a team if I have a rooting interest these days. Um, <laughs> and as I've you know I've come to learn a little bit more about the game, but I always find those guys fun to watch. And he's like one of those guys who swings for fences and runs like hell and. Uh, is a good story too. So if you have a moment, maybe if the Blue Jays are in the middle of a blowout win, uh, to <laughs> you know take your eyes off of them and appreciate what's going on in Texas, he's a guy to uh, cast an eye over to. Into it for sure. <laughs> All right, I will bond to see. Wow. Yeah, and again, it takes starting your fandom at a very specific window to get into <laughs> Raul Mondesi, because one year later he was. I think it, we're basically talking about the year two thousand. Um, I think one we are, we are, one yeah. year later he was pretty bad, um, and before it was Sean Green who was much better. But there you go. I uh, I started watching the Blue Jays in the year two thousand. I've outed myself as my specific yeah, year. You're, you're um, making me feel very old. I'm like I I liked Willie Upshaw. <laughs> I came to it, to be fair, it wasn't the first thing I started watching was hockey, so I came to baseball yeah. after hockey. Um, anyway, we'll, we'll leave it there. Um, hope you guys enjoyed it. Continue to subscribe and leave us ratings and do all the good stuff that you do, and we will be with you next week.